Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. We're back to the healthcare market, uh, and we're talking to uh, another interesting company, uh, Vizia, uh, Andreas uh Stavropoulos, who is Director of Product at Vizia Technologies. They are a healthcare uh, architect of solutions, systems integration company, solutions provider. Um, healthcare's been at the vanguard of uh, IoT and real-time location systems um, from the earliest days. And there's a lot of companies making a lot of money selling into this, but it's still a market that is wide open. Uh, Andreas caught my attention. Uh, he contacted me as a uh, as a listener to the show, but dropped into the conversation that he runs a lab where they evaluate different technologies. And so that got me going. We had this conversation. We don't just talk about the technology. We talk a lot about the business aspects, the impacts, the solution design and product, uh, what the use cases are, who's buying. But also we go through a discussion of the different technologies that are out there. And so I think you'll uh, you'll find that useful and interesting, even if you are not um, focused on healthcare. Um, so um, stay with us for that. Also wanted to use this part of the show to thank the folks at AIM. So uh, AIM is the um, uh, professional association for auto ID, uh, and they work on um, standards for uh, identification, barcodes, um, Ambia IoT, uh, RFID. And I was really um, honored that they have given this podcast the Burt Moore Excellence in Journalism Award. And Burt Moore is uh, an early writer and evangelist in the auto ID industry, did some amazing work. So to have anything that's named after him is really uh, uh, awesome. And I am tremendously grateful to the folks at AIM for giving us this, this is, you know, really for me, it's a, it's a hobby. It's an excuse to stay uh, current and it's a way of uh, continuing the life of the Beacon Technologies the book that I, that I wrote years ago. Um, but uh, now it's turned into a way of engaging with some really cool people and just having some great conversations. So to get an award like this is humbling and uh, really, really gratifying. So 
thank you, Aim. Um, and um, so let's move on and uh, listen to the conversation with uh, Andreas. I think you'll really enjoy it. The Mr. Beacon Ambient IoT podcast is sponsored by Williot, bringing intelligence to every single thing. Well, Andreas, welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. I um, am really excited to have you on because uh, A, you're a solution provider, so you have to solve all sorts of problems. B, you are um, focused on healthcare, which is a very important area in this whole IoT space. It's one of the most uh, fruitful areas for, for solution designers and entrepreneurs to focus on. So I think we can learn from you. And three, you're kind of doing a bit of what I've done, which is to kick the tires, test lots of different systems. So I am keen to pick your brains and uh, uh, hear a bit about what you've found. But let's start off where we normally start off, where you explain a little bit about uh, Vizier and, and, and what you guys do. Great. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here. Um, Vizia is a company that has been in the healthcare space for almost 20 years. And it's a company that has uh, always focused on questions around um, providing values value to customers through transparency. Mm -hmm. And um, the origins of that were in equipment transparency, you know, kind of the straight asset tracking and then eventually asset management use case. Um, that has evolved over time as different technologies have become more competent, more capable, and also users have become more sophisticated over time. But essentially, you know, Vizia is a company that we, we work with many different OEMs, but we don't build uh, at the hardware layer. We don't do engineering at the hardware layer. We do engineering at the software layer. And then we do, um, we are present uh, at the sites of all of our customers for the many stages of deploying, designing, deploying, maintaining uh, a solution. Because one of the things that became uh, evident early on was that uh, an engineering solution alone, even an excellent one, uh, was not going to fulfill the promise of return on investment. Um, and it was not, you know, so there needed to be kind of a, a an integration specialist and there needed to be some level of, um, I don't know if I would call it exactly white glove service, but um, but essentially sort of carrying forward and ensuring that the promise of the solution was actually delivered on. And that has, um, you know, we've seen a lot of technology change over time. And so some of it is a lot easier to deploy, uh, to design, to maintain, to do change management on. But the facts that there is kind of a human component required to educate, to train, to check in, to um, expand use cases as the customer needs, that hasn't changed. And um, we've been focused on that for a long time. And it's been, it's been a successful strategy in which 
as the technology changes, we can evaluate, you know, what our best, what the best fit for the customer is, because we want to be in a position where years after signing a contract, the customer is saying to us, I'm so glad that we went with the solution that you recommended. And the flexibility in solution stack allows us to kind of match the best technology with our hardware, which was explicitly designed, I'm oh, sorry, with our software, which is, was explicitly designed to be hardware agnostic and to be able to ingest uh, information from different OEMs and uh, hardware solutions. Um, we want to be in a, in, a, in a future state, and we have kind of completed this full circle with many of our customers where they say, um, thank you for recommending this software to me. I now want to do something else that I didn't even know about, but you did. And so now we actually have a platform that we can do that on. So um, that's kind of a, a short version of uh, Vizia and kind of how it sort of uniquely fits in um, and has kind of uniquely designed a solution stack um, with kind of a flexible um, hardware layer. Great. So you're you're the you're architecting architecting these solutions, um, and I think you'll have learned a lot of things on the way. Um, and I want to get into what are some of the use cases that you've focused on, and uh, you know the lessons that you've learned, and um, your your view on the different technologies. Before we go there, just let's complete to painting the, the the rough picture of your firm what tell me a bit about your your customer base um, the kind of size kind of customers that you have yeah um, our customer base is uh, mostly comprised of medium to large hospitals mm-hmm. um, uh, predominantly in the southeast and Southern California um, mm-hmm. that said um, we do have, you know, significant presence of, excuse me, um, field ops there. So it that allows us to be very present and kind of to fulfill the promise that we make when mm-hmm. when we begin a contract with the customer. So um, that said, we are kind of constantly expanding um, on those geographies, and there have been instances where. Uh, customers who are not in that immediate geography, we do find a good way to kind of maximize the value that we can give to them. And how how big is the firm? Uh, oh gosh, I think it's approximately fifty people, kind of mm-hmm. uh, across the board. Very good. So you have quite a lot of capacity there to to bring pieces together. And who do you find yourself? competing uh, against when you're um, um, looking to, to close new business? What sort of uh, companies is it? I mean, I'm, I tend to get very focused on the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, the, the people that are making the uh, technology. So are you finding yourself um, competing with a Stanley Black & Decker, someone who's got their own solution and an ecosystem around them or uh, do you just consider them as a, a potential supplier to uh, a, a project that you'd be designing um yeah that's that's a great question so um 
the you know dep- depending on the OEM they uh, they may offer a full stack solution so our you know let's say I'm the OEM my hardware mm-hmm. my software um, my crew deploying it um, or but there's also a lot of OEMs out there who recognize that there are limitations. Um, and they need to focus their expertise really on the hardware and providing right. that. So um, oftentimes we will collaborate with uh, those OEMs who are looking for they're looking they're really looking for a best in class software solution to go with their hardware, and that that includes OEMs that that may even have their own software, but. Um, recognize that there are kind of some unique capabilities of of ours because we've been specifically making software for you know 15 years uh, mm-hmm. and that's that's a significant um, that's a significant lead time when you're talking about answering the uh, specific questions that uh, users in the hospital are looking to have answered so um, to back up for a second um, we have gone up against uh, probably most OEMs who are in this space. Um, hey. And um, we have also been in a situation, many situations, where um, a, a hospital has been dissatisfied with a solution that they've implemented. Mm-hmm. It could be because there are technical limitations and you know maybe the reality of owning a hardware solution don't quite match up with the promise um, and so that is a situation that is fairly common for us too where we are looked to uh, to, to essentially remediate um, a, a hospital from a, a failed implementation. Um, or perhaps an implementation that didn't necessarily was not an, a complete failure, but degraded with time mm-hmm. due to some level of neglect, and had become more of a I'm, I won't say liability, but you know it wasn't providing value in in, in, in according to kind of the original promise. So mm-hmm. I think that Vizia has a reputation also for being looked to. Um, to remediate situations from um, some other providers. I, I used to work at this uh, great company um, called Sequent Computer Systems and uh, amazing culture, pioneering technology. And one of the other aspects of the company, which was really cool, was the CEO, who's a fantastic storyteller and salesperson. He used to be general manager of Intel's microprocessor products division. And from him, I learned the value of storytelling and metaphors. And the metaphor he loved to use was second surgeon, which seems to be kind of very uh, apt for what you're describing. And, and you know, the story is you, you find out who's really good after you've kind of rushed in and you've had your knee surgery with basically the first doctor you could find that uh, was available. And... Uh, Suddenly, you you realize that actually this is more complicated than you think, and uh, you're experiencing pain. And then 
you really look around and ask around and find who is the best in this business because my second surgeon needs to really be able to to fix the the pain that I'm in. So it sounds like you're uh, sometimes a second surgeon who uh, I mean I'm not super experienced in the healthcare space other than being a consumer of it. Um, so who are the big uh, OEMs that you run across in uh, in this in in this marketplace? Um, yeah, I mean the the ones that you mentioned, um, Stanley, um, mm-hmm. Sonator, um, Centrac. Uh, let's see who else. Contact IO. Um, ah, yes. Potentially okay. HID. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of folks. You know, I think that the. It's not difficult to um, describe the value that is possible in the healthcare environment, right? Mm -hmm. You know, things are expensive, they disappear, it's extremely complex. So the narrative to create and the spreadsheets to create are quite simple. Mm. And the, the the pitch that you can make to a CFO is quite simple. And the pitch that you can make to the director of clinical engineering, you know, it also resonates. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, it is really the, the longevity and kind of capability of the solution that's going to determine how, how, valuable, how valuable it is to the customer. And there's, there's an inherent asymmetry in, um, in a hospital looking for a real-time location solution. And the asymmetry is very simple. It's that this is a decision that they will make once, you know, twice, you know, given the tenure Mm -hmm. of availability of RTLLS, you know, you're not talking about someone who's making a decision and sort of staying fresh on research and information. And so, the asymmetry of there is that they have very imperfect information, um, whereas we are tracking all of these developments and we're actually bringing in each of these technologies that we think will be promising, again, for this to address the specific challenges of healthcare, which are different. They're different than warehousing. They're different than you know fabrication. And because we've been around for a long time, we know where all the bear traps are and what to look for. So essentially, you know, we are sort of a professional buyer of hardware and we don't make those decisions lightly. We very, very carefully consider different technologies and kind of square that against um, needs that the customer has um, explained. But also, we do take a little bit of liberty to know that the customer may actually have future needs that they're not able to articulate because they don't know about them, or yeah. they're just not along that journey. You know, they're not on that path for sort of RTLS adoption or kind of organizational sophistication to be able to use use cases or things like that. So we're looking out for our customers and trying to source the best hardware for them. And that's based on lab testing. There's very, very few places that you can actually do side-by-side comparisons of 
RTLS, um, let alone have five, six, seven, eight systems operating simultaneously. And in the lab, we construct simulated clinical environments that create some of the, uh, you know, sort of the bear traps that I uh, mentioned earlier, where we know that the technology sometimes falls flat and sometimes doesn't deliver. It could be related to the presence of glass. It could be related to, um, you know, the presence of uh, a lot of metal, like around the headboard of a bed, you know, the positioning mm -hmm. of equipment in a room. There's a long list of, of things that um, a, a, a hospital, when they're considering a solution, unless they've done this, you know, unless they're, unless they're, CIO or whoever the contact person is, whoever the the champion of the project is, unless they've gone through this multiple times recently, they're not going to have the sort of fresh information. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's where we provide a lot of value. It's a great point. How is that clinical hospital environment different to a manufacturing environment or a retail environment from your solution design architecture perspective? Sure. Um, well, it can, not always, but it can start with the architecture. So, um, you know, in, in a hospital, we're, we're typically dealing with um, a lot of rooms that are in close proximity to each other, uh, uh, drop ceilings, concrete slab floors, um, metal stud walls, um, some combination of glass wall and not that's that's evolving more 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 recently constructed hospitals have more glass um and um the uh, typically so, so so you're getting into really like a condensed environment where your room size is very small but you still need to know in an ideal case scenario you really want to know is it in the room or is it in the next room? Yes. Like that's a very, very important distinction, depending on yes. the use case. Not, I'm not going to say that that is the only acceptable threshold of, of location quality. But once you start to move up from sort of the simple use cases to the more complex ones, you, know, you don't want to be sending out a staff duress alert, um, which is you know, a call for security to come help and Unfortunately, that's becoming much more common, but you don't want to send out a staff duress alert from the wrong room, which could also be in the wrong wing of a hospital. Yeah, I remember I remember being told that infrared technology got a real place in healthcare because of that, you know, light doesn't go through walls, radio waves do, um, and obviously you can solve the radio waves bleeding problem in a variety of ways. But are you seeing infrared still being um, a predominant solution or is it giving way to, to other things? Um, both, I would say. Both are true. Um, I think that, you know, there's a spectrum of use cases which demand uh, performance in a couple of dimensions. One of the dimensions is latency. Uh, the other dimension is accuracy. Um, so you've got those. And then you have the other consideration of form factors and availability of tags. Um, 
which there's a lot of specific requirements in healthcare. You know, when when folks clinicians are trying to track something as small as a small uh, telemetry box, you know, up to a you know larger medical equipment. So when you overlay like a lot of those um, requirements, and you try and kind of consider uh, use cases that may not be front of mind right now, but are increasingly front of mind for customers, um, like like I mentioned, like a staff duress use case or an infant wandering or patient workflow or hand hygiene compliance, um, it, it then just becomes a question of what type of solution are we going to create and recommend that will satisfy the, that will basically take that customer as long as they want to go on the arc of, of use cases. And there are, um, you know, in, infrared was, uh, is, is, you know, what I call kind of a bounded signal, right? Um, you, like I said, there is some complexity when you get into more glass. Um, ultrasound is a, is a bounded signal. And then RF, as you mentioned, can, can bleed and, you know, get into uh, interference and things like that. That said, there are significant advances in, in RF and Bluetooth that is making it behave uh, more similarly to something bounded. But there are still trade-offs in that you might be trading a high level of, let's call it room level accuracy. You might be trading that um, for um, increased latency. Because yeah. in order to develop the quality of that location, the processing time that's required to run the algorithms is greater than just like a, a binary read from from an ultrasound, from an infrared. I'm in the room. I'm not in the room. So I don't quite understand the... Can you go into that latency thing a bit more? Are you talking about cloud analytics that are kind of smoothing out the uh, signal strength fluctuations is that the right latency? i mean what i'm what i'm talking about is uh, some of the more successful bluetooth systems that mm -hmm. that we've tested are um they are i call them successful because they do have pretty good um accuracy kind of room level mm -hmm. accuracy but the reason that they have room level accuracy is because the tags are collecting uh, information over a specified amount of time. And then, you know, they're sending those packets up to the cloud to be resolved mm -hmm. into a, 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 a location. And, you know, just the, the, the time required to kind of collect uh, location information, sending into the cloud, processing it, and resolving that into a geofenced area on a map, that is where we see latency kind of accumulate over those various uh, stages. I can't get this duress use case out of my mind. Why Why do you think the incidence is going up? Oh, I think that's a much larger conversation <laughs> right. uh, related to kind of um, uh, uh, violence in our society than, really? than we we will probably have time to get into, but yeah. Uh, but I, I think suffice to say that um, 
there was just a New York Times article, I think about a week ago, talking about um, emergency departments, acts of violence, and kind of the increasing need for, for that use case, for staff to be able to send a discreet um, communication saying, I need help. Um, yeah. And uh, again, unfortunately, that use case is also present in um, a much broader swath, like schools is another area. We are, we are not we are not in that you know vertical. We're not we're not providing solutions to that environment, and it's very sad. But 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 it is a reality. Yeah, one of uh, I have a friend that works at PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, and they've deployed RTLS systems in most of the hotels in the Las Vegas Strip. Um, yeah, and they uh, their system uses um, uh, a, a low power wide area network technology, and and that's exactly the use case. It's it's the uh, all of the cleaners and the hotel staff who are um, are are frequently getting uh, threatened or assaulted, and uh, it's, it's kind of very sad. Um, so let's move on from that use case, and uh, uh, I, I am interested in just going. Th- through some of the key use cases, you've touched on them already, but where do you think the ROI is? Where are the trends going? Is there anything kind of, has there been an epiphany? I mean, it seems like um, improving the patient experience, helping them find their way through this labyrinth, automating the check-in. It seemed like COVID was a, a driver for automating the check-in, but I sort of see a lot of half-baked attempts to do this and uh, people with systems in place that aren't really used half of the time. So um, what are you, um, let's let's spend a bit of time on the use cases and uh, what's, uh, who the winners are and the losers are in the, in the use case race, where the value is, where the difficulty is. Sure. Um, so when I think about use cases, I, and I think I mentioned this previously, I kind of structure them in my mind along a spectrum of uh, performance requirements from the RTLS uh, with those two dimensions of location accuracy and latency. And roughly the the progression that I think of of use cases in uh, medical uh, RTLS are, you know, kind of acid tracking. We're starting obviously with the lowest level uh, requirements of and you know, moving to maybe wayfinding, patient tracking, staff tracking, patient workflow, hand hygiene compliance, staff duress, uh, elopement. That's that's kind of the spectrum that I might um, of use cases that I might kind of put along um, along that line. And the you know, we're in a situation where. Um, the 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 ROI and the case for RTLS with regards to asset tracking is becoming very well understood, uh, even though the majority of hospitals don't have RTLS. Um, I would say that the vast majority of hospitals and people in decision making positions in those hospitals have knowledge of RTLS and. Probably, based on the uh, number of uh, studies out there, 
um, probably believe that it could indeed provide uh, value to their organization um, over time and if it's done well. Um, mm. That said, like, you know, some of the, I, I'll call it like the up and coming use cases are um, our patient workflow and um, staff duress and hand hygiene compliance. Um, I'll talk about hand hygiene compliance a little bit because that's that's kind of uh, come on fairly strong lately. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do think was, you know, although not a lot of uh, movement happened during COVID, I would say that a lot of awareness was created during COVID of uh, hospital hospital acquired infections and um, the role that technology can play in in reducing those. Um, so hand hygiene compliance is is quite demanding, right? Because you have to know when did a caretaker enter a room or a zone or a geofence boundary, you know, whatever we want to call it. When did they enter that? And when did a hand hygiene event occur? And how are we defining that? Uh, are we defining it? Are we defining it because we have a piece of hardware that says when soap was dispensed? Are we defining it because we have a high level of location accuracy and a very low latency, so a very responsive system, and we could actually create like a small geofenced area around the sink? You know, so there's questions about how to define it, and the reason that a lot of folks are trying to solve this uh, as quickly as possible is because. Number one is related to patient care and the quality of care and readmittance. And, um, and that, of course, is also linked to uh, how hospitals are compensated for their services. They, you know, if, if a hospital-acquired um, infection occurs and the patient needs to stay in the hospital, um, there is some portion of that that the hospital needs to essentially foot the bill for. Um, and so the there's a strong level of impetus, you know, is there a way that we can use this technology, but simultaneously make it as invisible as possible? Um, and once we use it to figure out what's going on, how do we then percolate those findings into, you know, adjusting and training the behavior? of the people that are doing that frontline work. Um, so that's that's um, that's become very significant lately, along with staff duress, I would say. I, I was speaking to someone, I think it was at a Coupa conference uh, in Finland, um, and they had been using angle of arrival. It was actually a, a US uh, solution provider based in Florida, and their system, I believe, would have some kind of visual indicator that the doctors wore that showed if they had were on top of their hand washing or not. <laughs> and uh, the idea was that the patient's family would say, you know, doctor, why is that red light flashing on your, uh, on your lapel yeah. there? Uh, and yeah. the green light isn't on, and then the doctor would be so embarrassed that they uh, basically had been caught not washing their hands because that was basically the indicator um, that that compliance went way way up because the thing that doctors fear the most is is losing that feeling of superiority, losing face in front of uh, 
nurses and patients and uh, patients' families. I'm not sh- It now seems so far-fetched. I, I, I can't believe that it, it actually worked that way. But uh, how, how do you tell people that they need to wash their hands if they haven't? Well, first things first, we need to collect the baseline data to mm-hmm. kind of understand what the level of compliance is. And then we need to have those tricky discussions with the customer, like what level of surfacing and transparency do you want in this data? The example that you just mentioned is um, dramatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's like someone showed up in a room and they're wearing, you know, a big um, A on their shirt or something. Right. Um, <laughs> So, you know, that's that's obviously a very dramatic example. And that organization, I'm sure, had to think carefully about whether how we want to present this and how we want to do change management within within our ranks. So I think that we don't consider it to be our place to prescribe how an organization changes. Um, we really see our role as providing the best information to the level of granularity that is desired, which can be individuals. You know, it can be, well, Steve, you are not washing your hands, my friend, you know, or or the same thing of me. Um, but, you know, getting it that last mile. And that kind of goes back to the communication piece that I that I keep talking about, like really making the, you know, implementing it. We have suggestions, we have ideas, we have things that we've seen be successful, but ultimately the the customer or kind of the manager of that of that program needs to decide what's going to work for their organization or try something, and then if that doesn't work, try something else. So, just to reiterate, most hospitals. Are still not doing any of this. Is that is that a fair question to say? Or yeah, statement? I mean, the, the numbers are changing rapidly, right? So, you know, if I'm looking at the number of hospitals that have an RTLS, you know, I might be only able to get data from uh, 2022 or 2021. And, um, but yes, the I, I believe we're still under 50% you know, penetration of RTLS in, in mid to large size hospitals. And that's, that's not even talking about the different use cases. That's talking about like the most basic use case of asset tracking. And so, you know, that does create some opportunities and questions around, you know, some hospitals, they need a solution now. And they may be able to afford, you know, this solution, and it might be a viable solution for their most pressing pain point, which is asset tracking, shrinkage of of the fleet, um, utilization, things like that. Um, and so, part of part of the process of really working with the customer is to understand how forward thinking they are. Are they kind of fixated on the known? tried and true ROI in asset tracking, or are they also kind of thinking of the spectrum of future uses that we know from talking to hospitals all across the country is coming. It's Mm -hmm. coming fast and it's linked to real, um, real dollars for the hospitals, many of which are struggling. Um, So, 
you know, that's that's again sort of that role that we can play as as a strategic advisor. We're you know we're not we're not we don't do consulting work, but as part of the sales process, we do sort of like to say, you know, are you aware of these things? Do you know that this is happening? Have you considered? Um, and and that kind of may change the the stance of the of the hospital on the different solutions that they're they're going to look at or consider. So it sounds like you're doing consultative selling, solution selling. What what's you? What is your uh, diagnosis of the uh, the patient? In this case, the hospital administration. Why are they still not using these tools that have been around for a long time? I think that it's a, you know adoption of a new technology is very complex, and getting people to. Um, the 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 drive by a hospital to adopt a new technology can come from any number of places it can come from perhaps the CIO it can come from perhaps the CFO it can come from the director of clinical engineering it can come from the director of uh, nursing biomedical engineering so that is a little bit of a messy process to kind of uh, understand and once you have that project champion, they may be kind of the spiritual champion of the project, but it, they may need to spend somebody else's money to achieve that. So the level of internal coordination that's required to really launch this campaign to adopt a new technology um, is is just, you know, the sales cycles are very, very long. And I think that is why... Um, there's a lot of companies that are kind of raising their hand and saying, hey, you know, we're in this business. We got this. We can manage your assets. And they may not realize that it could take five years for them to make a sale. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but a mm -hmm. very, very long time. And so given that cycle, I think you, that also leads to hospitals making decisions that are inherently a little bit more conservative about companies that have seen this, been there, done that, you know, that that are going to be around in five, 10 years, uh, as, as opposed to kind of like, hey, you know, we got your engineering solution, we got it, you know, let's deploy it. Um, so I don't think it's... It, and and you know I can keep adding layers to this cake, but you've got you've got the layer of hospitals are always positions are always turning over, you know, at at every level. The that turnover. is the challenge, isn't it? When the if the um, uh, time to implement is uh, uh, thirty six months, and the average tenure of a CIO is twenty four months, then you've got an inherent problem there, and. Uh, You've got to just right. hope that uh, you've got someone who's beating the averages or maybe their successor will uh, um, see an opportunity to take credit for something that's teed up and ready to go. But that is actually one of the issues is the massive churn of staff. And we, I, I see that in in retail. We You forge relationships well, well, throughout business. You forge relationships and you're you're taking a gamble. You're betting on the person as well as the uh, the institution that you're selling to, just in the same way as they're betting on on you. So I guess, d does that actually factor in your qualification? Do you think like, yeah, this person's got a problem I can solve. They've got budget. The project's big enough. Um, but this, this, 
this guy or gal is just not going to be around long enough to see this through. Is that? I mean, it's impossible to like use that as you know. We we can't benchmark that. We we can't plan for that unless they tell us, which would be unusual. But um, so we really we try and diversify the the interest in the solution and try and bring in as many stakeholders as possible throughout the process, so that if somebody does mm. depart. They are not the only kind of champion of the project. Somebody else can yes. kind of pick it up. But yes. you know, we, we've had things stall out for a long time because somebody left and they kind of got put by the wayside, and it was of interest to somebody else, but it wasn't their prime. You know, it wasn't their priority. So it you know kind of got iced for a while, and then somebody else comes in or something happens, and lo and behold, you know, let's go. Let we're ready to do this thing. Um, I do want to get into the technology, which was sort of the the hook that uh, got me interested in our, our in in this conversation. But this is just too good to to give up the because I think again our audience I like to think are uh, solution designers and entrepreneurs, be they technical or business. And so what we're talking about is like very important for the for the longevity of anyone that is designing solutions. You can be the best architect in the world, but if your building never gets built, then, uh, you know, what's the point? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So um, uh, where's the money in the organization? You did a really nice job of enumerating who the stakeholders were. But presumably, all stakeholders are not equal. Uh, and you pointed out that one stakeholder may have to dip their hand in another stakeholder's pocket. Who, who tends to have the deepest pockets? Uh, to to be honest, that would probably be a um, little bit more of a sales question than than I am intimately knowledgeable mm-hmm. about. But between those those three roles, you know, Typically, money can be found, or sometimes it's not even an issue of finding money. It's just an issue of proving that the solution will actually generate money and save money. And that's kind of the the mental hurdle. Um, Like, yes, this is going to cost us, but not doing it is going to cost us more. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, sharing that message and not, not just us, here's the important thing. It's not just us sharing that message. It's, it, it could be us saying, why don't you go talk to our other customer who is in your analogous role at a different hospital? Because, you know, 
we drink our own Kool-Aid, but you should drink, you know, whatever Kool-Aid you want and go talk to somebody out there who's benefited from some of these solutions. And that really hands down is, you know, just extraordinarily powerful when it when we're in the situation where we are referring to other successful projects and allowing people to speak to their counterparts who really understand like the the specific challenges that they are in, the specific questions that they're trying to answer, and have lived for years with, you know, kind of the the fruit of uh, of a solution that's been implemented. Very good. Well, let's get back to the technology then. We talked a little bit about uh, um, uh, light-based systems and kind of eased our way towards radio frequency-based systems. But what are the, um, what, what would you say are the prime tools in your kit bag that you find you're using now? And, you know, how has that changed? It's changed quite a bit in, and I'll, I'll kind of go, go back deep here in company history, but when the company was founded, this was all RFID technology using handheld scanners and people going around constantly circulating in a hospital to uh, scan a room, uh, typically a room where inventory is expected to be like a clean room or a soiled room and scanning the bar, scanning the barcode on the door jam and, you know, um, and then uploading uh, asset locations as frequently as the rounds were completed to mm-hmm. to kind of simulate a real-time visibility. Um, and that was very, you know, that was, that was a that was much more effective than not having any solution and efficacy of that actually led Vizia to um, be selected by a hospital to run their equipment distribution center and mm-hmm. so that's kind of a, a a tangent and and another kind of real world environment where we have learned a lot of lessons about equipment distribution and the specific challenges in it. And we still do that in Southern California. Um, but to, you know, to, to get back to your question, um, there's, there are so many technologies out there that are, are really kind of trying to crack the nut of, um, relative low expense, uh, longevity, um, wide uh, coverage of uh, use cases, easy to deploy, easy to maintain. Um, you know, I could I could keep going, but those are those are some of the those are some of the big ones. Um, and so, you know, I think that people are different OEMs are going about that in in their different ways according to sort of the heritage and expertise in that organization. And I think it can be achieved. Um, I have seen just a lot of progress, you know, I mean, there's, there's ultra wideband is very impressive in, in some regards. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I think the, it, the discussion that we see when we're looking at the different dimensions to evaluate an RTLS, it reminds me a little bit of like, um, you know, like like Pokemon cards or something like that, where you know you have a. I never played Pokemon, so I hope this I hope this holds. But you know, you have a like a character on a card, and they have mm-hmm. different attributes of like mm-hmm. strength, 
or maybe Dungeons and Dragons. That's I can relate to that, you know. And so there is no solution out there that is just across the board like the obvious winner. We are in a period of immense competition right now yeah. with companies like duking it out, and they're to some extent they're kind of duking it out in the dark because if you know if you are trying to develop um, an RTLS it's not like you have access it's not like you can order a demo kit from every other but you know every other OEM out there and kind of bring it in and deploy it and figure out how to do better than than it so part of what we do in the lab is we provide feedback to the OEMs in in an anonymized fashion about our understanding of the capabilities of that system and how they stack up against kind of other offerings. Uh, we look at cost models, we look at ease of deployment, ease of ownership, you know, accuracy, like all those all those kind of different dimensions that are, you know, a, a long list. But, but I, I suppose that, um, you know, the highest concentration of OEMs right now uh, appear to be working uh, in Bluetooth and to kind of use leverage the the standards that exist and the ubiquity and availability of uh, hardware to try and best crack that nut as best as possible. And um, and even you know organizations that may not have a heritage of Bluetooth, like they're, you know, they've been created based on a different locating technology. They are also looking at, are there ways that I can integrate Bluetooth? And, and what, what does that, what does that mean if we were to do that? Like what use cases does it support? What does it unlock? What value does it create? So that's, you know, I mean, that's that's like at a very high level. Obviously, I'm not getting too granular on it, but um, that's that's a lot of what I see and kind of where the hot spot of of interest is when you are considering RTLS that are um, maybe standalone solutions. And by standalone, I mean, you know, that are not necessarily leveraging like uh, access points that have Bluetooth. Um the the other interesting area where I think there's a lot of movement, um, and I can certainly see a lot of potential, is uh, riding on the back of infrastructure that already exists and is ubiquitous in a building like lighting. You know, oh, yeah. so it could be using uh, attempting to use visual light communication to establish location. It could be uh, embedding Bluetooth sensors in light trays, which are, you know, ob obviously like in every room um, and are already wired, are going to be installed by a different, you know, a non-special or a, uh, you know, an electrician. So it doesn't require retaining a specialized trade to do that. Um, so those are, those are kind of some of the areas that I see a lot of movement. And um, I think that there's a lot of smart consumers out there who are kind of waiting for something to break in a significant way that really does result in a system where, you know, your Dungeons and Dragons card of that system like has really high marks across all of the different dimensions, except for cost, low mark. Yeah. But 
And maybe it's a matter of having a few of the right cards that complement each other. So you have, uh, you know, you have a, a team uh, uh, that uh, where there's people that are good mm -hmm. at defense and attack and all that sort of stuff. I've actually never played Dungeons and Dragons, but I've played a lot of computer games that I think have been derived from it. Um, um, so what about... Um, what about angle of arrival for Bluetooth? Are you seeing a take on that? Because that seems to, yeah, but you, you can imagine a system that uh, of Bluetooth readers that do angle of arrival, but also can you know just listen as well. Um, uh, uh, and you know, I always felt like, well, this is basically an ecosystem that Cooper just owns, but now. There are other vendors, uh, Chinese vendors, uh, and and the the Bluetooth five point one standard has been out long enough that there's more than one source for angle of arrival. Is that becoming established? Would you say? I would say that um, there's a lot of interest in it. Um, I you know when I think of a solution like that, which um, you know angle of arrival. Uh, typically, the the devices are fairly expensive due to the complexity of the yep. antennas inside, and you know typically they're going to require PoE. Um, so, so power you, over Ethernet, right? Power power over Ethernet, um, and when you look at those two uh, requirements, and you kind of compare it to the real close knit scale of hospital rooms, um, that's that's a heavy lift um, to bring POE into every room. Uh, it's a very disruptive process in a hospital. Like you're moving ceiling tiles, you're doing dust isolation, negative pressure areas. So, you know, although it can result in a very durable, very accurate system. There are just some kind of architectural and realistic constraints in it. So, you know, for example, the uh, the hockey puck tracking that mm -hmm. um, I think uh, Koopa uh, did mm -hmm. a movie of, like that is a brilliant use of that. You've got a wide open area you have really clear sight lines you know you have that you know very high level of accuracy extremely low latency um but i suppose i i question how well a system with those requirements kind of maps onto an extremely different uh architecture and environment yeah, good observation. Interesting. Um, you mentioned negative pressure, and I think I understand that. But can you uh, unpack it a bit? And uh, yeah, it's it's simply that if you are in a patient room, if you're moving around architectural acoustic ceiling tiles, you're going to mm -hmm. generate dust, and mm -hmm. you need a way to contain the dust. And so you have to set up some some kind of uh, let's call it a tent around the workspace so that mm -hmm. that dust. Uh, does not bleed out into the rest of the patient room. So, you know, the requirements, if you're trying to install something where you need to move around uh, acoustical ceiling tiles in a live hospital environment, well, first of all, you can imagine that it's not possible if the room is being used. Mm -hmm. um, so 
then you get into a deploy scenario where we're trying to kind of play whack-a-mole where like, is that room empty? Like, can we get in there? Who's coming? Like, are we getting a bed come in? Like, you know, do we have the time that we need? It's very messy, essentially, to um, to do that. And not to mention the cost, you know, I mean, anytime you're adding uh, POE, you're adding switches, you're uh, potentially paying for union labor, um, you know, you're, you're, you're creating a lot of disruption, mm-hmm. less less in a kind of a greenfield or a new project, um, but to kind of retrofit an existing hospital to the point where you need POE in every room or or even every other room, like it's very demanding. Somebody needs to feel very committed to that particular approach, mm. and um, which is difficult when you're pioneering if everyone was doing it then it would just be the cost of doing business but before you get kind of mass adoption then uh it's it's a little trickier you mentioned vlc visual light communication and it occurs to me last time we covered this was uh years ago so can you just explain briefly what that is Sure. Um, visual light communication um, is rides on kind of the similar idea of let's leverage a ubiquitous element that is required to be present in uh, a building or, you know, in our case, in a hospital. So we're leveraging these uh, lighting trays um, and we are um, we are uh, controlling the flashing essentially Mm -hmm. of the light in a way that we can communicate information about the specific location of that light fixture or a group of light fixtures. Um, And it's super interesting. Um, I I think it's, you know, just the idea that it could potentially use or leverage or with a small modification, you could achieve ubiquity uh, across a hospital is very appealing. The challenge is that you know, to, it is visual light communication. So if you don't have a visual of it, you are not going to know where you are. And, you know, in order to get a visual of it, you need a, you need a camera, you need some kind of, you know, lens on, on the tag, on the Essatra tag. And you, um, you're going to need a, a a chip that's going to add more expense than kind of a, a Bluetooth, uh, chip. And so, I think that there are circumstances where it can make a lot of sense and can be very powerful, but there are also some, you know, constraints uh, in that. Um, using an iPhone, for example, with a front-forward camera and walking yeah. around is is a perfect match for visual light communication. Like someone is trying to navigate, they have their phone out, it's seeing the sequence of flashes, it's communicating with. Uh, the cloud to understand where it is, you know, great use case. But, you know, something like where you have a tag, the tag could potentially be under a patient gown or on the bottom side of a bed or, you know, in, in some location that is required due to the clinical needs of of that equipment, it, it may not see some of that. Yeah, it's phenomenal technology. I When I was uh, um, at Qualcomm, uh, we got to tap into this treasure trove of uh, IP and technologies that have been developed by Qualcomm Labs, which is like basically Qualcomm at the time was spending, I think, about $5 billion a year on R&D. So they had just so much. And VLC, visual light communication, was one of the th- 
the, the technologies they worked on because you could use a phone and it had the camera. And so in many ways that was free and everyone's getting LED lighting that has this ability to uh, essentially transmit Morse code only so fast you can't see it. Uh, you don't detect the flicker. And then they were showing centimeter level accuracy in X, Y, and Z uh, dimensions, which is just phenomenal. Very, very impressive. If you've got the camera out. And so I think our answer then was, well, we'll use BLE in combination with uh, uh, VLC. So you'll know that you're in the zone because of BLE. BLE could push out a message that triggers an app, you open the app, and then the app starts using the camera and uh, uh, you're off to the races. But um, a lot of fun. Um, I feel like we've been going for a while here. I feel I'd love to go longer, but we should probably wrap it up. Any other key technology trends that you think we should cover before we uh, move on to the fun part of the show where we get to talk about your background and music choices? <laughs> Um, well, I am, I am excited about, um, the work that, that you are doing and kind of how we are going to move into a level of just extreme ubiquitousness of, mm -hmm. of TAT that, that, uh, provide a wide range of price points and capabilities that allow us to, you know, I, I'm keeping an eye on kind of uh, the progress and and movement in that space, and I'm I'm quite excited about it. I'm quite interested in in how it develops. Yeah. yeah so I mean, my day job uh, is at Williot. So they're a sponsor of this podcast. So we'll we'll t take a minute just to talk about that. I, I absolutely haven't been planning to do this, but uh, you know, <laughs> we've been flirting in this area of healthcare for some time. Um, for all the obvious reasons, it's, it's kind of a well-established market. And and the tracking of infusion pumps and other high-cost capital assets, um, that's been that's a well-trod lane. It has all the issues that you've described. But I think you know, the opportunity to, when you're using a, uh, uh, we call them pixels, but postage stamp-sized uh, stickers that uh, can broadcast Bluetooth, the way I see that working is, yeah, I, I've, I'm using my battery-powered tags for, and maybe even doing angle of arrival um, for certain use cases. But I can use that infrastructure to also listen to the broadcasts from these things. And then I have um, the option to start tagging um, consumable assets, not just fixed assets. So I can uh, start tagging the face masks back in the day when those were in desperately short supply and I can see where those are being hoarded. And one of the use cases I really love is the consignment use case where you have um, uh, increasingly, uh, you know, hospitals are a business, capital's in short supply. You know, we're seeing providers of products that are saying to hospitals, you don't even need to buy this product. So I'm going to supply you with whatever it is, arm braces or knee braces, and I'm going to put a supply on your um, in your hospital, in your clinic. Um, you don't need to buy it um, when it gets dispensed and given to a patient. 
I'm just going to build the insurance company directly. Um, and that works great as long as you don't lose track of the uh, the arm braces and the knee braces. Um, and uh, um, so if you have the ability to tag them with, uh, with, uh, with a Bluetooth uh, sticker, then you can start to perform this financial engineering, which has really got nothing to do with radio waves and angle of arrival. It's just like sure. making sure that you solve the problem of a busy nurse not signing out and doing the paperwork. You can right. see where products have gone. And that allows you to suddenly take a whole bunch of cost and capital requirements away from the uh, the, the hospital and start, um, you know, some very innovative yeah. financial engineering as well as wireless engineering. But I think, uh, yeah, and and tracking instruments in operating theaters and Absolutely. so many interesting uh, use cases. Uh, so I will I will add a small comment that we we do track rental consignment equipment and oh. for, and we have a, we have a, a module again we've been really dialing in software very very specific to our users and so we have a module that allows um, customers to track rental equipment and for some of those customers the one of the reports that we create is their source of truth for billing um, we're not down to you know the the mask level, but that that is true for rental consignment equipment in some cases. Very interesting. Well, actually, one thing I did want to ask you about was the Wi-Fi access point um, providers, the Arubas, the Cisco Meraki's. You know, they all have a play in RTLS. Are you seeing them getting any traction? Um, there's certainly a for companies like ours, they're a gateway from Bluetooth to the wide area network. And so yep. they have a role to play there. But they can also do coarse grain uh, location tracking, zonal lo location tracking. Is that getting right. any uptake? Yeah. I'm, well, it's getting a lot of uptake of conversation for sure, you know, because that the idea that, oh, we've already got all the hardware that we need very appealing who, who doesn't want to believe that they you know the new ap's that they just you know installed who doesn't want to believe that those are capable of additional use cases mm. so it's a very compelling idea that you can leverage existing technology um and you know and it's it's been around for a while, but it is really gaining traction right now. I think that the question that it's all about just understanding what are you trying to accomplish? Because yes, you can get you know um, moderate level of location accuracy leveraging that existing technology. And of course, it has to be installed at the right density. You have to have good coverage. You know, it's not just like, oh, we selected this model, so, you know, we're good to go. There are plenty of other uh, conditions that need to be met. And, and I believe that you also need to enable those services and pay a fee to use them. Mm -hmm. So if you are combining kind of all those things where you're looking at, you know, you're looking at cost to enable the service. Um, okay, you've got the service enabled, but do you have a great piece of software that does what you need to do with that information? If not, who's who's providing it? Where is it coming from? How are you creating value from that information? And yeah. even if you do have a great piece of software, 
like, let's just be really clear about what that type of accuracy, which um, would not fall under the, you know, level of like room level certainty. It's like you said, it's kind of much more zonal. Um, mm -hmm. We're drawing a bigger circle around our, our blue dot is bigger. Um, what are we trying to solve for? What can we solve for with that information? And if you're talking about the, you know, some of the entry level, I'll call them entry level, but they're the entry level on more familiar use cases like asset tracking, that might be fine. You know, that might, that might be all that you need. You send an equipment technician out and you say, it's in one of those four rooms. I don't know which one, but go check. Uh, you'll find, um, but, you know, again, like when you move up the spectrum of use cases, the question to the customer is then, sure, that this is a solution. Are you okay knowing that this infrastructure will not be able to provide you at any point? Not, I won't say at any point, but, you know, for the foreseeable future, it will not be able to support these use cases. And when you bring in, you know, a use case like hand hygiene, for example, which has real numbers associated with it and real, you know, it's tied to reimbursable rates. It's, you know, the financial argument to invest in uh, a system that can support that uh, changes with those use cases. What about... Um uh the electromagnetic uh, field sensing are you seeing anything uh from that uh, we've had uh gosh we've had one of the leading vendors of that on the podcast um uh, uh, a, f a few months ago and there's another one which i uh, came across recently called orient spelt with two eyes they're an israeli company and it seems pretty amazing they're basically looking at the earth's and the building's magnetic fluctuations, which are like a, a signature, and um, you know, rather like when you run a mag stripe through an old-fashioned credit card reader, you get data. That data comes from the compass in your phone, and you can work out pretty accurately, as long as the person's moving, um, where uh, where they are. Is that anything that's uh, hit your radar yet, or or not? No, but I am going to check out that podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, have 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 I, a look. Um, uh, I I'm having a senior moment in terms of who the previous vendor uh, was, but it was definitely earlier this year. Uh, and as I say, Orient are a uh, uh, competitor, and we're finding that very interesting because um, we see the value of mobile readers. The phone is a great reader uh, of uh, of Bluetooth tag technology, especially low-cost uh, tags. And in the future, it'll be an energy source, um, either because the firmware will be activated on the phones to use the radios that are kind of sitting latent, or, or when we have our next generation of tags, uh, they'll be able to sip away at uh, even weaker sources of energy. But that's going to allow us to use um, the phone um, uh, more and more uh, as opposed to fixed infrastructure. And, you know, whether it's a phone or some kind of Zebra Android device, then there's, you know, more and more staff are being given tablets, uh, are being given phones, uh, it seems to me at least. Uh, and then you can use that to essentially survey 
and crowdsource the location of tags. And we've seen, certainly in the retail context, you can cover pretty much the 100% of the footprint of the store over uh, a, a given period of time of somebody walking around with their phone. Uh, with that, so you, that means you essentially you combine that with something like Orient, uh, where you can tell where the phone is. So I know where the phone is. I know what the phone can see, and yeah. uh, then I don't need to start punching holes in walls or worrying about That's power over Ethernet. Um, I will. I will definitely learn more about that. You know, I'm. I'm I had some experience with the um, like RF fingerprinting and kind of the, the capabilities of that. Um, and I'm I'm reminded a little bit of, do you remember that Matthew McConaughey movie where he communicates across time using gravity with his daughter? Does that oh, ring yes. any bells? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, since I, I rewatched that movie, I think I watched it, you know, when it first came out and then I rewatched it and I made a, a mental book bookmark to myself thinking, I need to learn more about gravity. This is really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So ma the magnetic field reading, it's its a cool area. It's been around for a while uh, and it seems to be getting traction um, and, you know, no infrastructure is the, is the promise. But like all these things, it has uh, limitations. Well, very good. Andreas, thanks uh, so much. We've got another part of our conversation to do, but thanks for the business side of it. And, uh, I urge people to uh, stay on and uh, hear hear what your three songs are and how uh, landscape architecture meets uh, uh, RTLS in a <laughs> in a very uh, interesting manner. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. So I was really struck when I was looking at your um, uh, LinkedIn profile that you seems like you started off as a landscape architect. Is that right? I did. I did. I went to UC Berkeley uh, and earned a master's degree in landscape architecture and uh, worked for a brief stint into kind of the economic collapse of uh, 2008, 2009. Um, and then uh, started a firm, um, mostly because that was the option that was available at the time. There were not a lot of places hiring. And um, I had a couple of good relationships and one thing led to another, and I uh, started and ran a design firm in the Bay Area for about 10 years. Uh, we had a small crew there, and then we moved to Portland. Uh, and so we had a Oregon. small- Portland, Oregon, correct. Yeah. Um, to, uh, we opened up another small office there. And, um, you know, we were kind of in the back in the backdrop it was uh we were starting a family at the time and um we kind of had this realization and we as my wife and i we had this realization that oh my gosh we're we're really far from all of our family and so long as we have the option or can create the option to have our family kind of in the context of more family um and that geography and people were welcoming towards that, we we decided to make a big move. And with that came a uh, significant career change as well. Ah, so you uh, it was when you moved to Albuquerque that you gave up the landscape architecture practice? It was, it was, they were almost synchronous. They weren't in, you know, 100% synchronous, but oh. yeah, 
Yeah. It was, it's been, um, it's been a transition that I've reflected on quite a bit and, uh, I've done a lot of reading and actually some writing about it too. Um, if, you know, if anybody's interested, I can. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested. Well, because my father was a landscape architect at one point and, uh, so you know we're all obsessed with our fathers, or at least I am, and uh, and so uh, any uh, profession that he had is immediately um, about four times more interesting to me. Um, he was also a philosopher, and I, I I am always struck when I talk to people who are in technology who come from an area that seems completely unrelated, and both of those are, and I've met some brilliant. Um, uh, computer scientists and uh, technologists who just have developed great mental faculties and uh, somehow they've pivoted. How did you get from landscape architecture to uh, real-time location systems, which is like <laughs> computing and radio frequency technology? And it's like, I, I can't think of anything further away. Uh, well, okay. I'm, this is a great opportunity to make make an argument then. Um, okay. <laughs> so, you know, first I should say that the the space that Vizia inhabits is not the hardware layer. Mm -hmm. We work with a lot of OEMs and leverage their technology and create a software product using it. Uh, we are a hardware agnostic company. So we, you know, and I, I could talk about that a little bit later, but... Um, um, but essentially, um, you know, what I'm creating is, is a product of value and the process of creating that software product, uh, especially, you know, because it is, um, there's a lot of stakeholders, um, it's complex, there is bureaucracy, uh, it has geospatial components to it, um, a large part of the success of it is communication and adoption. And if you look at all of those skills, like what else is an architect but a product manager of a building? So um, I got to hand it to you. It's, uh, it's a compelling argument. <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, I, I could, I could really keep going, but I'll, I'll keep it kind of succinct at, at that level. But I was, you know, it, it, it was a little bit, um, you know, it, it was a little bit of an abrupt transition and it took me a little bit of time to put all the pieces together and realize that a lot of the value that I was carrying forward uh, and had to retrain uh, for a different subject matter. But, you know, as, as a landscape architect and for, for folks who may not know, that's simply an architect of outdoor spaces. Mm -hmm. um, plazas, schools, playgrounds, et cetera. Um, it's all the same process of understanding your stakeholders, understanding what they need, putting together a concept design, understanding the technical constraints, um, working with very, uh, working with kind of individuals who are excellent at their individual craft, but also often need some kind of cross-functional communication, let's call it. Um, so I've been I've been very pleased and, and I'm very grateful towards my design background for and and you know the, the professional work that I did to 
learn um, a rigorous design process and what that looks like. And, and I think that, you know, especially in the context of, we make software for hospitals essentially. And uh, a hospital is a complex social, physical environment. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I like to believe, one of the things that I believe I can add in value is the the knowledge that the success of a solution is so much um, it, it it is not it is an engineering solution. You know, all of real time location systems are a marvel of engineering. But in order to provide value, it's less of an engineering problem and more of a communication challenge, a support a, um, you know, sort of what, what it's relying on a lot of skills that folks with engineering backgrounds, sort of pure engineering backgrounds like to call soft skills. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're not really soft. They're just skills. Um, and they often kind of make the difference between two excellent and well-engineered products. One of them being widely adopted in use and thriving and the other kind of withering on the vine. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like you just rewired my brain and that's partially what you have to do when you're selling a product and when you are um, getting people to use it. They, You have to persuade them to change, to see things in a different way. And uh, there are so many of those non- uh, technical aspects to uh, success of any enterprise. And in doing this, you've made me even more interested in what your music choices are. So, um, what, uh, what, give us your, uh, three songs that, uh, uh all right. Well, I, I favorites. did, I picked three. Um, the first is, is an album actually, and it's an album that was left by the previous owner in a used car that I bought when I first, <laughs> When I first kind of made my big, uh, I'm going west to explore the world and find myself, you know. So, in my- are we talking CD, cassette, a track, or a, a big vinyl, a record that was left on the back seat? No, it, it was a CD. It was also the first car that I that I owned that had a CD player, so it was very exciting. And it was a Dixie Chicks album called Wide Open Spaces, and it kind of corresponded to to that phase of life. Um, kind of driving west into the unknown to kind of go on a journey of self-discovery. Um, so that was that was one. And I like the songs, but more I like you know what it what it represents and and kind of how it reminds me of that specific journey. Outstanding. What's number two? The uh, number two is um, something I had listened to the other day. So we live close to the Rio Grande River, which is home to the largest contiguous cottonwood forest in, uh, I believe, in the world. And this time of year, it's stunningly beautiful outside. And so I listened to, went for a bike ride the other day, and I listened to Into the Great Wide Open. And it kind of has this ascendant, soaring quality to it with, you know, the strong southwestern light coming in. Um, through the cottonwoods and the yellow trees. And so it was just a, it was a very kind of beautiful moment. I'm, I'm not familiar. Is it, is this an orchestral piece or who's, who's no, it from? It's, it's a Tom, it's Tom Petty. 
Um, oh, so it's, okay. Yeah, it's kind of um, uh, yeah. It's actually out of out of the realm of what I typically listen to, but you know, mm -hmm. um, it just kind of surfaced at that moment, and I went with it. Um, and then the last one was um, a song that uh, some friends of ours performed when we got married, and it's the song "Emmy Lou" by First Aid Kit, and it was an they performed it uh, without lyrics, and so it just has a very special place in my heart because it reminds me of my wedding and uh, also you know some friends who are lovely enough to lug some instruments out to kind of a uh <laughs> and, and where, where where did you get where did you get married man that is small and whereabouts yeah. in california is volcano uh volcanoes in the foothills um trying to, it's not it's it's been a while um so it's it's east of sacramento um okay Kind of in in the foothills. I, I'm struggling a little bit to tell you what it's. Yeah, what it's yeah. it wasn't near that much, which was part of the draw. Okay, so you just tried to find a place where no one would bother you, and uh, to cut down on the expense because you knew that there wouldn't be people there. Or um, is there a, no, another connection? No. Well, okay. So you're really you're really pulling at the ball of twine now. So um, I was actually working on a project out there, a residential project. And we went out there to do a site visit. This is this is my landscape architecture days, yeah. and um, really just loved the place and realized that it had one park, it had two small hotels, it had one of everything, and so we decided okay. that um, that was all we needed. We needed one of everything. We needed to double the population of the town, and we uh, needed to have a great party, and we did. Amazing. Well. Um this has been great. Um, Andreas, it's been an, uh, a delight, a real pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. Likewise. And I'm so grateful for the amount of sharing that you do. I feel like you have generated and been extremely generous with all of your conversations uh, in a very brave way. So I just wanted to <laughs> say that I'm, I'm grateful for that as a person who has learned uh, so much from um, your media and your sharing. Wonderful. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. So that was Andreas. Uh, I love the combination of landscape ar architecture and uh, uh, IoT. Who knew there was a, a connection, uh, but I'm a believer now. Um, I am very grateful that you stayed with us for throughout uh, what is a pretty long episode. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for, for Aaron for editing, Brooke for uh, promoting this episode. And again, thank you for giving us your time and uh, sharing, uh, sharing uh, the fact that you, um, that you listen or watch our, our podcast. We'll see you next time. Stay safe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.